Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafried. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels. This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. And welcome back to another episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. We are your hosts, Joe Peterson, and with me as always... It's Eric Branson. How's everybody doing? <laughs> hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. How are you? Uh, uh, pretty good, pretty good. Just kind of getting back into the swing of things. My my uh, semester has fully started up again, so now I'm... Now I'm uh, adjusting to a new work schedule which is a lot of fun but uh but yeah so far everything's going pretty good we've survived the the brutal brutal cold uh and everybody was calling it the polar vortex but really it was just a, a whole arctic front that came down and terrorized the midwest for a little bit you guys uh, got some of that in chicago too didn't you oh yeah yeah we uh basically had a good 48 hour period where we didn't leave the house you didn't dare leave the house actually because there was wind chills like down to 40 and even 50 below at points so yep. yeah it yep. was not a lot of fun taking the dogs out was as meant as much as i like got outside of the house i'll <laughs> that tell you, day. i'll tell you the one thing either of those days i'm really dreading because of that two-day period is my uh my monthly water bill because in order to keep my kitchen pipes from freezing i had to keep a small trickle running no, non-stop yeah. for yep, two we days did. We did too. and yeah yep. because they did freeze actually before uh it's happened a few times and luckily knock on wood nothing is burst but uh yeah the joys of home ownership right when all that kind of stuff happens right and, but yeah, it, yeah it was, it was it's a... weird too because we have an older home so the upstairs there's there's one thermostat and it's downstairs so the upstairs always mm-hmm. gets really really hot so even though it was like like you said like negative 40 negative 50 i had to keep the window cracked <laughs> right. to regulate temperature so Oh, Everybody's yeah, coming yeah. down with colds. It's just it's been <laughs> it's been a real uh, a real nightmare. But we got through it. Though I should I shouldn't say that because right now here in Wisconsin we're getting uh, an ice storm. So. Oh yeah, yeah we had something along those lines real here through here last night, but um, didn't get it too bad. North of here, northwest here, like Rockford area, I get I guess got mm-hmm. quite a bit, but we didn't get too much. Yeah. Just a little rain. Well, you know when when you get these horrible. F- freezing kind of conditions there's nothing better than to to jump up you know jump up on the couch and curl up and watch something nice and scary which we talk about scary films and scary stories you know we we've been working on putting this episode together for a while the next two episodes actually uh dealing with the master of suspense master of horror stephen king and so what we decided to do for the next couple of episodes right is to look at some stephen king miniseries 
essentially that aren't it. <laughs> right. um, which yes. is the only one that people ever talk about anymore. But yeah, so some of yeah, the lesser and, and... discussed Stephen King miniseries. And I think one of the reasons we decided to go with um, doing the miniseries rather than his uh, regular feature-length film based on any of his work was because um, I feel like at least the miniseries actually, uh, being that Stephen King tends to be kind of a long-winded writer, if anyone's familiar with Mm -hmm. his novels, tend to be um, kind of page number heavy. So I think the the miniseries actually have been kind of the medium that kind of does him the most justice and at least in my opinion out of the ones i've seen i've not seen all of them these days there are actually quite a few out there uh, that i didn't even realize but uh the two that we're going to discuss in the next couple of episodes were favorites of mine growing up and i actually remember when one of them was on tv and you'll uh, know which one of those when we say what dates these came out but <laughs> right um right yeah so. the first one we're going to talk about here actually came out before even i was born but i i remember yes. this one and i think this one still has quite a lot of respect behind it and we can't say that about all Stephen King mini TV miniseries and I agree with you oh, that no. I think that's why um, they made so many of them it almost was like every couple of years it's the new Stephen King TV miniseries and you yeah, know of I course like we were getting one a year for a while there but yeah. yeah I think so and some of them would be based on lesser known or less celebrated works some of them based on short stories um, and, and you know I do want to mention just something very very briefly about the the theatrical film releases, you know, there's been a couple of direct-to-video ones as well, but the theatrical ones like, you know, The Shining and and so on, you know, Green Mile and Stand By Me, you know, he's the guy's done yep. a ton of work. But those have always been really quite abridged. I mean, with the exception of, uh, you know, I think uh, Stand By Me was a short story, so that one was yeah. a, just a, a regular feature-length film, but that's also still pretty celebrated. But something like The Shining, for example was made into a TV miniseries that was more like the book, and it wasn't nearly as celebrated as the Stanley Kubrick film, which really has nothing to do with the book. Very little, at <laughs> yeah, least. Yeah, I mean, you know? it has um, the setting and the characters, and that's, you know, a general situation. But yeah, other than that, it's it's very different. Um, the McGarris film starring Stephen Weber that came out in the, oh, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s, yeah, um, right. was like probably the most one of the more faithful adaptations of anything i've ever seen like it was kind of note for note right off of the novel but it didn't make quite as good of a film like there's just i mean it, that i always use that film or that miniseries versus the, the uh, theatrical film as a kind of a talking point on why it's not a bad thing to adapt films you don't want to like literally put you know everything from the page on screen it doesn't always right. work out to be just because it's you know it, just because it's exactly note for note what the book says doesn't necessarily make it the the right choice for the film well and i think you brought up a good point too and you said that a lot of stephen king works are you know he with his novels he tends to be a little bit long-winded because he really goes into quite a lot of detail and backstory into a lot of his characters um yeah he's what you know a master at at, like characterization i think he always has great memorable characters and believable characters too Um, absolutely and growing up actually reading stephen king i always liked his short story collections more because it wasn't so long-winded. They were a little bit more digestible when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. And I still actually have a hard time getting through some of his novels because it's like he'll build up this really tense scene and then it's there's such a departure into a whole other aspect of a different character. And that's not that it isn't interesting, but it I want to go back to the other part. So 
Um, <laughs> right. And, and I, you, we were talking about this a couple days ago, but I just finished the audiobook of It, which I found is really the best way for me to digest the really big Stephen King novels and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was it was great, and I'm really glad I read it. But I it, it made me realize something. Now that's was was it great? It was great. It you was great. It. Yeah, I read it, yes. and it was great. <laughs> um, but I think you know the uh, one of the things you, you mentioned too about how not everything needs to make it onto the screen. That's really really true, and I think one of the reasons why, for example, that the the Shining miniseries wasn't quite as well respected is there's themes in that book that don't work well. Not just on screen, not on a TV screen, not on a network TV yeah. screen. Um, and we could say the same with It. There's some parts of It that they've never put into the miniseries or the theatrical film. And there's a damn good reason why. Because that is, there are some scenes that just aren't going to work um, yeah. being filmed. And I, I think that's just the, you know, kind of the battle there. It's like, do you make it a a standalone film in the theaters and have stuff, but you're cramming everything in there or leaving a lot out. Or do you keep as much as you can in for a, a mini series on TV, but you have to tame down the content or do you do what they're starting to do with his works now and make multiple part theatrical films. And I think we'll, we'll kind of see yeah. how that works out. Well, and I think the other but. thing that is opening is the door that's open recently is like a Netflix series. So a 10 episode, right. Essentially a mini series. And I was going to get to this, you know, after we, um, why don't we go ahead and introduce the film, and then we'll kind of jump back into this topic. Sure, sure. So the the first one we're going to be talking about is actually one of the first Stephen King miniseries I ever saw, and this is the 1979 American television adaptation of Salem's Lot. Ben Mears has been away too long, and now at last he's come home. The men fought at Valley Forge. Daddy, come back safe. Home to the childhood memories to the old familiar faces, to a life unmolested by time. And with your saints, let him rejoice in your presence forever. We ask it through Christ our Lord, amen. Home to Salem's Lot, a town too good to be true. What was that? Did you happen to notice the time when the boys left? We shouldn't have gone through the woods. It's a shortcut. They should have been here half an hour ago. Wait! Danny, wait! Something is happening. Something terrible. Stop, holy man! You can do nothing against the master. They're breeding on one another. The vampires are creating vampires. The master wants you. It's a geometric progression. Two times two times four times eight. There's a dead man upstairs. Bill! Yeah, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Look at me. Ned Tebbett's body has disappeared from the morgue. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Bill! Stephen King, the best-selling author of Carrie and The Shining, takes you on a startling journey to Salem's Lot. In the back of the box, sinister events bring together a writer fascinated with an old hilltop house, a suave antiques dealer whose expertise goes beyond bric-a-brac, and the dealer's mysterious pale-skinned partner in Salem's Lot, a blood-curdling shocker based on King's novel and directed by Toby Hooper. 
Yeah, that was the one thing I was just going to bring up is directed by Toby Hooper, which unfortunately we we just lost recently, right? Steve uh, Toby yeah. Toby Hooper just recently passed away in the last really, year or so. Um, uh, I think really out of the, all that whole school of um, you know seventies horror filmmakers is might be the most Toby Hooper might be the most underrated, although um, a couple of his films surely are some of the most famous films of the seventies and eighties, even if you uh, consider Poltergeist, I suppose. Yeah, but yep. Um, yep, yeah. Of course, he ended up yeah, being Texas so, Chainsaw Massacre, which is one of my all-time favorite horror films. But um, yeah, and I didn't realize how quickly this followed after Chainsaw Massacre. I, it's it's such a different styled film with the pacing and just it everything is. about it. It, it is. Um, I had to remind it, myself that this was a Toby Hooper film. Actually, I mean, it's just so and and like, getting way ahead of ourselves, but it's just so so well done and so different. So it just shows what a talented guy he really was. Um, I think, and if you watch his entire body of work, he does have a lot of varied kind of uh, talents, not just the, you know, chainsaw cannibal, <laughs> right? <laughs> which right. he made it, which he made, you know, some couple of films in that vein, you know, Eaten Alive and Funhouse are still kind of in that, yep. in that vein, but. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, yeah. So Toby Hooper, big fan of his. <laughs> yeah, this is a really. This was. Um, I mean, rewatching this one kind of for the podcast, it had been a little while since I had seen it. I did recently pick up the Blu-ray. Um, and it, what I realized is that it's, it's a little bit of a slow burn. Um, but once it gets going, it, I think, well, just kind of like a lot of Stephen King novels, right? Actually, this one is, I have not read the book, but my wife did. Yeah, I have. <laughs> and as we were, as we were watching it, she was commenting on how it was rather faithful, actually. There were some aspects that were, yeah. were tamed down a little bit, but for the most part, it was, she said it was pretty, uh it was pretty pretty faithful to the book um but one one of the things that i really noticed is that like like the book or like a lot of stephen king books there's like i mentioned before there's the slow burn but this one does a good job of building up the suspense it it is worth it in the end it's very dated but the performances are are pretty good the effects for the time are pretty good overall you know it's uh uh, it, it's it's a it's just, it's a good vampire movie, you know. Yeah, it's fantastic, and and I think this is the reason why we were talking about how there were so many Stephen King miniseries, right? And the the fact that Salem's Lot is so good, it, it it's the first one of them. It, it acts kind of as a a blueprint for um, what's to come, um, and I think that's why Stephen King kept getting adapted over and over again into miniseries because I think people were attracted to. He's a very popular writer at the time when this came out. This wasn't too long after the novel itself had been published. So um, I think people are very attracted to the ability to, for them to stay very faithful to the source material because they had a lot more time to work with. So the runtime of this film is a little over three hours if you take all the commercials. Obviously, there are commercial breaks in it when it aired on network television. Mm -hmm. um, it does. It gives them a time to, to really tell the story, have some you know well-developed characters, um, and... Yeah, and, and apart from that, it is a really well put together um, gothic horror film. Like, um, really, just nothing like you, anything else that Toby Hooper did. But he definitely like um, really understood what he was going for with the the you know old school kind of gothic hammer horror um, tone of the whole movie. Everything from the you know the creepy old uh, psycho Hitchcock psycho esque house and, um, the basing the appearance of the main vampire on the, you know, FW Murnau's film Nosferatu, 
which supposedly, and you definitely have to ask Sarah if this is true, um, or anyone else listening can correct me, but supposedly that's not at all the way the vampires in the novel are described. That was a creative decision on Hooper's part and the producers of the film, so... There's, there's, um, yeah, I, one thing I remember her telling me, so, you know, hey, spoilers for everything, right? Um, one thing I remember Sarah telling me when she was reading this book, one thing that really kind of shook her up was, um, and this is something that wouldn't have worked in the miniseries, or maybe it could have, but they didn't put it in there. Uh, there's a, a part where, um, where, where that head, head vampire, um, actually writes a letter to... I can't remember if it's if it's uh, Ben Mears or if it's the priest, um, mm-hmm. but pretty much writes this letter to him. He's like, "All right, so you figured me out. Um, I'm not worried. You, you, I've I've been around for so long." And there was she she said there was a line in it, you know, with with her spirituality and stuff. It's uh, uh, this I could see how it would rattle her a little bit. It said something about I I was around when your people were hiding in caves, drawing fish in the sand. Talking about how it's been around since before Christianity really was a thing. And it's just, she's like, yeah. it's really, the book really pulls you into the character. And uh, I guess the scene, though, in the kitchen where, uh, you know, where, where he first appears, where you finally get a real good look at Barlow. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. Um, she said that that part in the book is really, really quite horrifying. And really, really scary. Yeah, in the it's film pretty as well. scary, too, in the movie. It's... Yeah. It's surprising to me. I don't think this would. I honestly think this would have. This would be dumbed down on network television today. Like I don't think it. I think it's honestly that. And it's it's really cool because there's not a whole lot for anything like blood or gore effects. I think it's just legitimately a really scary, creepy movie, mm-hmm. um, and has a lot of really effective scenes. So I don't know. I just. I guess I'm saying over and over again how well made I think it is. But it. Yeah, I think it's super effective. I think the makeup on on. Um, Kurt Barlow, which is the name of the vampire, um, is very effective. Um, mm-hmm. James Mason's awesome in this movie. Yeah, I think the cast, the the um, it, really the acting's pretty spot on, as well as uh, which I didn't realize until I resaw this is a uh, young Fred Willard is in this movie as well. Oh yeah, um, which was funny because I know him more as you know an older guy and now in you know, comedies. Current, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, and the yeah, scene especially with the Christopher Guest comedies and such, but uh, the scene with with Fred Willard and uh, and, and Kenneth McMillan, who plays Constable uh, Gillespie, the scene where oh, where yeah, he yeah. catches where he we catches uh, Fred Willard's character cheating, you know, screwing around with his wife. That is an incredibly tense scene that has nothing to do with vampires. That's just a scary ass scene with a guy and a, and a shotgun. Oh yeah, and, yeah. When, oh my god. What's his name? Cully. It wasn't the constable. It was uh, the truck driver, Cully uh, Sawyer. His wife. It was the secretary. And but yeah, the scene with the shotgun. Yeah. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, yeah. Again, it's just a very effective um, movie. It's. Uh, I know they remade this mm-hmm. at one point, and it, as another miniseries later, um, with Rob Lowe playing Ben Mears in the movie. Right. I have not seen that one. I've heard it's not even generally comparable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really iconic stuff in this. The scenes uh, with the kids, um, you know, returning to scratch on their friends' bedroom windows, and you know, floating, and it's stuff that I feel like you see 
um, over and over again in vampire films that follow it, especially throughout the '80s. And, and I really think this is this is the first place you see that exact kind like of imagery. Fright Night. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fright um, Night, and even Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, not the series. Um, right. Yeah, I, I picked up. You know, another thing I, I kind of got from this too is um, a very similar vibe to a series we talked about for our first Forgotten franchise show, which is Phantasm. Yeah. There were just some aspects that reminded me of that first, you know, you mysterious gothic type structure and mysterious people in it. And, you know, the idea of like taking over a town and leaving it for dead kind of a thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of a, sure. a lot of parallels there, uh, but because it's an effective concept. Um, so so this is yeah, this is one that I, I think the first time I heard about this movie or book was actually from my dad, who is not a big horror aficionado. He, he, he does, I honestly refer to it pretty much as trash. But <laughs> he read this book in the late 70s, early 80s, when uh, we still lived on a farm. And he mm-hmm. told me that he would have to get up at like 4 in the morning in the middle of winter to go out and feed cattle in this old rickety barn, and there'd be an owl up in the rafters, and it'd start flapping, and it'd just scare the shit out of him. You know, he's he's imagined <laughs> his mind is full of vampires and all of a sudden there's like foom, 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 right. and it just freaked him out. So I guess I always kind of walked into Salem's Lot like this is a really scary movie, it's a really scary story. So I was glad to rewatch it as an adult and mm-hmm. really kinda of gauge for myself how scary is this story. And it it's it's a bit dated, but it's very effective still. It's a Yeah. It's a right. really, really cool concept just going and, and I've, this, I noticed this, this is right up there, and there's diff, certainly some parallels, but this is, you know, perhaps one of the best vampire stories of all time, especially in the modern era. But yeah, there, there, there's certain parallels you can draw with with the narrative of Dracula, but um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's a great vampire story, and I'm kind of a little upset that I don't have a little more reference or haven't read the novel, so I can't really dive into that, but um. Well, it's yeah, it's, I it's I a I, I, like you mentioned. There's a lot of parallels, and I think Fright Night is one from the '80s that borrowed a lot from this. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything from you know the creepy guy that moves into the old house and he's a vampire, <laughs> and there's the friend knocking on the window, and all of that. Which and, and don't get me wrong, I love Fright Night. It's a it's a whole it's a fun movie. Even the remake yeah. was tolerable. Um, yeah, Fright Night's definitely certainly different in tone, but yeah, yeah there's definitely um, some influence there, and that might have come straight out of this movie, the mm-hmm. you know old Gothic mansion that happens to be next door to you know suburban Charlie Brewster or whatever. But, yeah, anyway. I, I do want to mention a little bit. You, you you brought up how James Mason is in this, and yeah, uh, every time I see the guy, I have two references for him, and one is of course the Kubrick film Lolita. Right. Which yep. is such a disturbing movie even today. It is so uncomfortable mm-hmm. to watch. And he is so just creepy in it, in a dirty old man kind of way. Um, right. Yet not in the stereotypical dirty old man. You know, it's just, it, you know what I mean. And then it's also, I, and I have to just bring this up because it's James Mason, is uh, stand-up comedian Eddie Izzard. <laughs> always uses his James Mason impersonation when he's pretending to do the voice of God. And you put those two together, right. and then his per- <laughs> his performance in Salem's Lot, and it's just a fucking ride, man. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, really, it is. It, 
it's a great performance though as in this he's really really good at you know the essentially the lead i don't know do we call him a ghoul because he's not a vampire yeah i i guess so a familiar a ghoul yeah sure i guess witches have familiars but not yeah yeah but yeah, Straker Straker and Barlow is the name of yeah. the antiques shop that moves into town, which is a familiar plot device from later Stephen King works as well. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's certainly needful things, but I think that's uh, uh, yeah, even beyond that. Yeah. But. Well, and since we're talking about it's... vampires, I got to ask you: Have you have you seen what we do in the shadows yet? We've talked about this before. <laughs> no, I still haven't. Okay, um, well. So they do talk about familiars in there. So I think you were actually right with that with that term. Oh, hey, there you go. And and right about something. Two, you've got to <laughs> see. You, now you have to see it even more for two reasons. One, because FX is coming out with a mini series or not a mini, an actual TV series of it. Yeah, and, I saw that too. And two, because one of the vampires in there is clearly also modeled after Barlow slash Nosferatu. Actually, seems a little bit more like Barlow. Yeah, than Nosferatu. A little more. So yeah. yeah, all the more reason, Eric. You got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never been against seeing it. It's just finding the time to. Yeah, we need it. We need to just it, review so. it. We need to just review it because it'll force yeah, us that, to watch. That'll it. get it done. Yeah, <laughs> if, if we get it on the show, I will certainly. I will definitely yeah. watch. That's the only way to guarantee I watch a movie anymore. Is uh, schedule it on the show. So yeah, I've um, noticed that happening too. But yeah, so I, you know, and again, I haven't seen like you mentioned. I haven't seen the, or if I did, I. I forgot it um the the more updated remake with rob lowe but this one did have a sequel as well yeah I, and I, I don't know if i've ever seen the sequel but it does and uh it does have a sequel they kind of left it to an open-ended a little bit to where you could continue this story but i'm not sure that's what the sequel does for mm-hmm. i don't know have you ever seen it's return to salem's lot right is the yeah, it's actually written directed by Larry Cohen. Oh, okay. Who's, who's yeah. one of my um, favorite... Who was an early person who wrote a draft of the screenplay for this when it was still a feature film and not a miniseries. Right. Sure, I just read that on Wikipedia, but yeah. So. And it's kind of funny because it, uh, the the sequel, I remember I remember seeing the, the video cassette for it at the video store, you know, Return to Salem's Lot, and they had the poster art. It has the same image of, you know, Nalder there as, as Kurt Barlow, but he, Barlow's not mm-hmm. in the movie. So it's just kind of <laughs> yeah. going along with it, but I mean that one might be worth a watch just because it's Larry Cohen and and the guy makes great B movies, and and this yeah, is true. this is right up there with it. But um, I I did read somewhere that there are uh, well for the the, the two thousand four TV adaption that that TNT did that has Rob Lowe as Mears. It's got a tremendous cast though because that one has has Donald Sutherland as the role of Richard Strager, and Rutger, oh, okay. the, the the great Rutger Hauer plays Barlow. Oh, so it's wow. like how many okay. movies does this guy play vampires in? Um, <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> yeah, and then it's also got James Cromwell as uh, Father Callahan. So there's it's. Oh yeah, that's got a maybe I'll have to see it. I just out of curiosity at this point, but uh, I can't imagine that it's. I mean, this movie is this miniseries is really so good that I, I have trouble believing that it's you know going to leave a favorable impression but i don't know you never know sometimes things can be different and equally as good or you know still okay even if it's not as good <laughs> that's true that that's true i mean and uh yeah i think i 
feel kind of bad we're talking about a, a movie we haven't seen. But I, I think yeah, it yeah. probably it'd be worth watching, especially after seeing the original and and how how good it is, how good it holds up. Um, you know the uh, there's also an, I remember this came out again in '79, but there's uh, some aspects to it. We're talking about other movies that it, it kind of reminds us of. Uh, this one also has some. It's just reminiscent. Maybe it's just the age of it, but it, it reminded mm-hmm. me a little bit too of uh, the Howling from 1981. Just okay. you know, co- yeah, colony I mean... of a uh, colony of werewolves, especially the end, how it ends, uh, or at least yeah. the climax is is rather reminiscent. Uh, not to say that they borrowed from each other, but it, it's kind of like, well, I guess how do you get rid of a town of vampires that are all living in one house? You burn it. You burn it down, right? <laughs> so I guess you do the same thing with werewolves. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, fire, fire, do it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, uh, uh, I mean, what do you think? If you had to give this one a grade, and let's do something a little different here. Uh, a grade sure. for, uh, how complicated do we want to do this? I was going to say <laughs> a grade for this under vampire films, and uh-huh. then a grade for this under other Stephen King, let's just say Stephen King film or TV movie adaptations. Yeah, and I can do that without being too complicated because I think I would keep it right around the same. And I would say this is this is an A movie for me. Like I, mm-hmm. I just think it was really, really great. Um, gothic horror at its best. You know, it's like uh, taking a slice right out of you know the seventies uh, or sixty fifties and sixties Hammer horror films, yeah. and it's got just. Uh, Toby Hooper said in an interview shortly after completing this film that because it was a TV movie that he couldn't, you know, use his trademark blood and guts, so he had to concentrate on creating an atmosphere, and man, was he successful. Like, this whole movie just has this great gothic atmosphere. It's everything a vampire film should be. They should make more vampire films like this, you know, even to this day. That's what, when I think of vampire movie, you know, Dracula movie, that kind of thing, that's always the... Um, imagery it evokes. It's got some moments where it's a little bit dark shadows, and I'm saying that like um, you know, it's it, it you can see it's TV movie show through it at points, but in general, especially when we're going to compare it with the uh, move, the film we're going to or the TV film we're going to look at next week, this one is still very cinematic throughout most of it. Uh, yeah. For a TV movie, it's very you can tell it's got a little bit more of a budget behind it, and Toby Hooper just knocks it out of the park. This might be one of his finest works mm-hmm. like in general just out of just a really fantastically made film so i really couldn't um i'll knock off the plus i'm not giving it an a plus only because it it's a tv movie and it could probably be you know uh, there actually is a theatrical um i i don't remember how much shorter it is but there's a shorter version of this film that was released internationally um hmm. it could be it could be trimmed a little bit maybe but i i do think like we Going back to what we were saying earlier, it gives you a chance to really well, you know, have some well-developed characters and kind of uh, spend some time with them that you don't get in a ninety-minute adaptation of something. So yeah, anyway, yeah. Long-winded version of saying yeah, I, I really, really liked it. Really, really enjoyed seeing it again because I liked it a lot, you know, as a kid. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm very happy that I, I chose to. Uh, pick this one up on blu-ray and uh, it's gonna stay in the collection that's for sure yeah and i think i'm i'm gonna agree with you on on all of those points uh i think it's a great it's one of the better vampire movies that's out there and Mm -hmm. especially nowadays there's so many so-called vampire films and it's funny because my daughter who's just now nine actually um (laughs) yeah just just had a birthday birthday recently yeah she um 
you know, she she's kind of like I've mentioned before, she's you know, kind of sort of into spooky, scary stuff, but that's appropriate for an eight or a nine year old. And I was telling her that I had to uh, watch this movie and she said, oh, can I stay up and watch it with you? And I said, no, oh, it's, a, it's a vampire movie. And she's like, well, I like vampires. And I said, no, this is like, <laughs> this is like, you know, actual vampires. And she goes, oh, I don't like those. I'm like, I just realized you just said, I don't like actual <laughs> yeah. vampires. Um, like, these don't sparkle. But, yeah, you know, they... Uh, They're not fun, misunderstood, you know, no, no. comedy characters or whatever. Or, yeah, or, yeah the my, t- my babysitter is a vampire kind of, you know... Mm-hmm. teeny bopper kind of stuff but yeah this is uh this is up there i think with some of my other favorite vampire movies and i'll and i'll be honest there was a period of time there especially in the early 2000s like when twilight was really popular that i was just done with oh, vampires yeah. for a while we all were i think and, and, like, and i'm not the, even and that was coming right off at of the end of the whole underworld thing which yep. we talked about at length in our vampire werewolf episode so yeah let's go hasn't heard that one go and check that out if you want to hear and it, yeah. more about our impressions of that era of vampire and it wasn't movies. even just twilight or just underworld it was also all of the other vampire craze stuff that was going on at the time you know we, we went through a phase where it was vampires and vampire i think who was it i say neil gaiman and maybe i'm attributing this to the wrong person who says we need to put vampires away for a while until we can learn to respect them again um yeah yep. and and i think then we did it again with zombies where zombies mm-hmm. are all over the place, and then it wasn't scary Things anymore. Go in cycles like they that. Do. Like one thing I do have to say about the like um, the recent kind of like uh, young adult or child children's television programs and movies that have you know um, vampires, werewolves, things like that. Uh, at least they are they're very light in tone, but at least they're kind of respectful of the source material. Like it's not like the underworld era where it was just like, hey, we're gonna make you know action movies and then have quote-unquote vampires in them this is uh these things actually do take you know they are have the characters you know so so kids are learning about you know dracula and frankenstein the wolf man the creature you know all these things so um so i think it's kind of cool in a way like i like this a lot better <laughs> than, than the what, what we mentioned before but yeah absolutely and i mean i would put this up there with with you know some of the the better Dracula incantations, I like that you mentioned the Hammer films because this had a, a lot of that vibe to it. Um, yes, yeah, I'm, it it just kind of, I mean, that's what the, those films were known for too, is just being like brilliantly, um, oh, I don't know, just kind of almost it, it, uh, gothic in a way that um, I'm trying to think of American films that would even come close besides the original Universal monster movies, but uh, probably the Roger Corman. Edgar Allan Poe adaptations with Vincent Price are, are close mm-hmm. as well, but um, yeah, it's 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 really a good movie. I think. Uh, I mean, do do you think there are any modern vampire films that have kind of been respectable? You know, I mean, this is clearly one of them, but this came out in the seventies. Yeah. Has there is there been anything that's come There's... out? And there were a few in the eighties. We mentioned Fright Night, which I thought was a, a good vampire movie. It's yeah. funny, but it's good. What about uh, it was, and it, what about more recently? Anything that that stands out for you? Like, yeah, that's trying you know, to good think recently. Like, there are plenty in the modern era of good vampire movies. I'm trying to think of anything that's comparable to this, like being kind of old fashioned and and gothic and very like Dracula esque. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing really comes to mind. Um, no, I mean the Bram Stoker's Dracula, which came out in the 90s. 
which, right. which was yeah. just, you know, I don't know, people still make fun of that. Oh, that's the Dracula with the bad accents. And it's like, yeah, I mean, but... it is, but... <laughs> but at the same time, you've got Gary Oldman playing Dracula, which is pretty damn cool to this day. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a it's a pretty all-around watchable movie, mm-hmm. even though it's not perfect, but yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be a fun one to look at, too. But yeah, I would actually honestly... Do a think... show where we take, like, three generations of Dracula, like, do an old, like, oh, classic... Oh, that'd be cool. ...and do, like, a, you know, 70s, and then do something modern and see. I, uh, anyway. I You know what, though, I will say, I've sat through Dracula Untold once, and I won't do it again. Oh, yeah. You know, I think I own a copy of it somewhere, but I have not watched it yet. God-awful. not ever. Though, I, I'll say, I think, out of, <laughs> within the last, you know, 15 years or so, probably the roughly the one vampire film i think that's been my favorite has been 30 days a night because 30 days a night was great yeah, yeah. that one that one i think I, I watched that in my house during an ice storm and the ice was <laughs> was chipping off the roof in the wind and it sounded like people crawling up there and that was scary as hell <laughs> oh yeah i bet but, <laughs> so but yeah i think you know that that would be kind of a fun thing to do and, and this is a. Uh, this is one I do recommend. You mentioned you're keeping this one in the collection. I'm definitely doing the same, and I recommend people, you know, kind of hunt this one down uh, if you haven't seen this the the '70s version of Salem's Lot. And again, stick with it. It's a bit dated. It's 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 a, a it's a it's a '70s TV movie, but it's so much better than than it has any right to be being a '70s TV movie. You know, it's yeah, definitely it not really an after It's very special. cinematic, and yeah, exactly. But. Well, and then next week, we're going to be continuing our discussion on yet another uh, lesser-discussed Stephen King miniseries, but possibly lesser-discussed for a different reason. I feel like this one kind of faded into obscurity, and and that's unfortunate, and I feel like the one that we unearthed for next week maybe should have stayed buried? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, next week, we're going to take a look at... Dude, what are we gonna say? I guess we can wait till next week. Yeah, let's keep people. <laughs> let's keep people in suspense. Keep you in suspense. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll take a look at a more recent Stephen. King. Thank everybody, or thank you everybody for listening. And um, yeah, please drop us a line. And uh, if you've seen that remake with Rob Lowe, what are your thoughts on it? And if you've seen both of these, I'd love to know uh, if any of our listeners have any opinions about. You know, how they compare to each other, how they compare to the original source material. Do you have a favorite vampire movie? I mean, we were just talking about ones from the, you know, 90s and 2000s and onward that, you know, might might be able to, you know, withstand criticism. Uh, what are some of your favorite ones? By all means, please uh, get involved. Again, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Feel free to uh, email us. Um, if uh, we haven't mentioned, I don't think we've mentioned the email in a while but uh, yeah, you can find us at videojunkyourpodcast at gmail.com or at facebook at videojunkyourpodcast you can download our episodes at soundcloud or talk to us on twitter at video yeah and yeah like we say every week if uh share with us what your thoughts on the show or this film or even just share a you know film review with us if you take the time to write it we'll take the time to read it and um yeah we'd love to hear from you awesome well thanks everybody for tuning in as always this is this is Eric O'Branson. Have a good night. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go. Go. Stay on the road. 
We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast on Twitter at video junk pod and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast all one word want to thank you again for listening and keep digging who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard <laughs>